just struck by some things during worship. What a blessing for a deacon to have his two sons assist him in taking up the offering. What a what a great great thing. Turn with your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter five as we proceed through our study in this rich book of the Bible. I'm uh, I'm getting older, more senile. I just misspoke last week. I didn't mean to tell you a story from the pulpit. You know, <laughs> telling you a story anywhere is bad enough, but telling you a story from here, that's just not a good thing. And uh, I just went brain dead and uh, gave myself uh, more credit than I'm due last uh, week. Uh, I told you that uh, last uh, Sunday's sermon was number 50 and Ephesians is not. It's, it was number 40. So... <laughs> We are plodding our way through, however. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish the fifth chapter today. No, I'm I'm sorry, this section of the fifth chapter. And and you can pray, because uh, next Sunday we're going to begin dealing with uh, the whole biblical teaching on marriage and the relationship between husband and wife. That'll be next Lord's Day, beginning through that with verse 21. Lord, today we're in verses 18 through 21. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. This is God's word. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And again, that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be our teacher today as we turn our minds and our hearts now to your word. We ask that you would give us great grace as we do. Father, we want to know. We want to learn. But we don't want to learn just for learning's sake. We want to learn so that we can be more like Jesus. We can put it, have his heart and his character, that we can uh, be a, bear a strong witness to the difference that he makes in our life. And I pray that today you would give us grace to that end. And we pray your blessing upon this time together in your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, our text this morning brings us to the most one of the most important and one of the most... Um, misunderstood parts of the Christian life. And that is the whole biblical teaching on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches that God is triune. That is, He is one God. He exists in, we believe, three persons. He is in the form of a trinity. And those three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person in the Godhead uh, carries out an important function in our salvation. Just to summarize it, it's easy for me to remember this way. God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son accomplished our salvation. And now God the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. You know, before his crucifixion, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll ask the Father, 
and he will send you another helper. You see, there's the Trinity right there. I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Then we come to Acts 2. We find that is exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost, and now the Holy Spirit is the possession of every believer. When we're converted, when we're born again, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And so you see, possession of the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit in your life is simply part and parcel of what it is to be a Christian. And so the Holy Spirit, you see, is not something we have to pursue. Not something we have to seek after. It's not something that we have to try to find. Having the Holy Spirit is not some kind of second blessing that you experience sometime after you've come to faith in Christ. But rather, it comes along with salvation. It comes along with conversion. And when you give your life to Him, you know, that is what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, in His sovereign power, calls you to salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ has paid your full penalty for your sins so you can be saved. God gives you a new heart. He opens your eyes so you can see the truth, your ears so you can hear it. He gives you new life that you might experience the fullness of what it is to be His child. And at that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. We believe that's what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing as conversion. And so once you come to faith, you have the Holy Spirit. You know, even the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the success of your Christian life, the extent to which you are or are not able to live your life in a way that pleases and honors God does bear a lot on how you facilitate, how you utilize the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I think that's an important distinction. We don't spend our time trying to find the Holy Spirit or to have the Holy Spirit or to experience the Holy Spirit. We spend our time trying to understand what it means to live by the Holy Spirit and to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us in our lives. Now, our, I go into all that because our text this morning deals with that very subject. This whole matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit is such an important part of the Christian life. And so I want us to spend some time just working our way through these four verses this morning. There are two things we're going to find here. First, we, we just see the exhortation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. Then there are three results, consequences, in your life and mine as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we were going to look at this morning. And first then we uh, find this exhortation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul puts it in verse uh, 18 in the form of a contrast where he says this, 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would Paul put it in terms of a contrast? Why would he have this contrast between being drunk with wine on the one hand and being filled with the Spirit on the other? Well, the contrast really is based upon a similarity. And the similarity has to do with the whole matter of control. Someone who is drunk is under the influence of the alcohol they've consumed. They no longer are in control of their thought processes, their mental acumen, uh, their decision-making. They've given that over. They've given that control over to something else. Whereas a Christian you see, lives under the control, the influence, the direction of the Holy Spirit. People who are drunk do things they would never do when they're sober because they've given themselves over to the control of the liquor that they have drunk. The Holy Spirit, you see, is to control life of a believer. Now, the Bible makes it clear that it is improper and inappropriate for a believer uh, to be like the first part of verse 18. It is inappropriate, improper for a believer to be drunk with wine or with anything else. It is not a part of God's plan for a believer. Now, uh, we do believe that it's proper, legitimate to drink alcohol in moderation. If you believe you have the freedom to do that. Moderation, however, is the key there. If you're going to do it, you must do so carefully, making sure that you do not cause another brother or sister to stumble by your freedom to engage in that activity. It can be a very tricky business in, in the Christian community for us to do that. But the Bible consistently says, consistently says that drunkenness is a sin. And that's why uh, Paul says it this way, do not get drunk with wine, and he calls it dissipation. Other texts may use the word debauchery. Uh, it uh, means intemperate living or something that is wasteful. To go back to what Paul just said in the previous verses about being wise and foolish, uh, to be uh, uh, drunk or drunk in a drunken stupor is not a wise thing, but rather it is a foolish thing. And uh, but I want you to understand this is not just an exhortation against drunkenness, but rather it is a contrast to what controls your life. And so we're not to be filled up with or drunk on or controlled by wine, but instead we're to be filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that again is what believers are urged to do. We're urged to be filled with the Spirit to be under the control of the Spirit, not to, to seek this initial baptism of the Holy Spirit over and over again, but to live daily, moment by moment, under the control, under the power, under the direction, under the influence of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. Now, that does not mean that we're to seek some kind of extraordinary experience or some miraculous gifts and there is confusion in the church over that very thing some believe that 
in order to demonstrate that you have the Holy Spirit, that you feel the Holy Spirit, you have to do something extraordinary. Or, or being filled with the Spirit is some kind of emotional experience. And so there are a lot of believers who go to church trying to find that kind of emotional high, that experience of the Holy Spirit. So to prove that they have the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they want to, to feel that in some kind of emotional way, as though that were the proof that they have the Holy Spirit in their lives or are filled with the Holy Spirit. But is that really what it means? To be filled with the Spirit is not, quite frankly, what the Bible teaches. Instead, the Bible says that the proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit does not have so much to do with spiritual gifts, as important as they are, as it does with the demonstration of spiritual fruit. You see... If I don't show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what kind of emotional experience that I might have. The fruit of the Spirit you see, is a change of character. The fruit of the Spirit is something that comes from the heart. Jesus says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. Out of the heart proceed all the issues of life. And so you see, a, a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to manifest, it's going to demonstrate, it's going to show those different evidences, that fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, the verb here, to be filled with the Spirit, is in the present tense. That means it is to be an ongoing thing. Being filled with the Spirit is not just uh, something that we experience once, but being filled with the Spirit is to be a way of life. We are continually, moment by moment, give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are to live uh, that way is a, is a way of life. Uh, again, being filled with the Spirit has more to do with a change of character than anything else. Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. And that's what we see in our text today, isn't it? It's by the fruit that we know them. We're going to see in the next three verses. When, when Paul begins to talk about the evidence, the consequences of being filled with the Spirit, he points to a change of character. He, he, changed, he points to our way of life. And so let's, let's look at those consequences then in the second place this morning, beginning with verse 18. What are those consequences? One of them is joy. Now, Kerry taught some on joy this morning in Sunday school. Uh, Paul lists joy as one of the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. Now, some commentators, when they come to verse 18, uh, think that Paul's dealing with singing, with worship, and those certainly are included. But I don't believe it's limited to that. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, a sense of joy 
should permeate our lives. And this is the way Paul expresses that joy, I believe, in verse 18. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I don't know how you can get around concluding that being filled with the Holy Spirit excludes a grumpy attitude. Now, this is one of my barometers. You guys my wife. It's one of my barometers. I know if I'm grumpy. And if I'm irritable. If I'm not, as it were, speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but in something far different. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not under control and influence of the Holy Spirit at that moment in life. You know, we all live, don't we? In this constant struggle, this constant battle back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. It's a daily struggle. Sometimes, for me, it's a moment by moment. Am I going to live by the influence and the power and the control of the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to live by the inclinations, the desires of my flesh? Am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to, to control my life? Or am I going to let the remnants of the old man still within me to dictate how I react, respond, talk, deal with people, my attitude, my thoughts? It's a constant battle, isn't it? Back and forth between the flesh and uh, the Spirit. And that's a question we all need to ask ourselves as we seek to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, uh, what are we going to allow to control our lives, the flesh or the spirit. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5 and, and flip over or flip back to Galatians chapter 5 where, where Paul contrasts those two things, the deeds of the flesh, which we find in Ephesians 5 verses 19 through 21, and the fruit of the spirit, which are found in verses 22 through 24. I mean, that's what he says, verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and then he lists them in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and he gives the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to look in, in verse 20. Just a few of the deeds of the flesh which he lists as enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, all of which are just the opposite of verse 18 of Ephesians 5, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with melody in your heart to the Lord. You sense that contrast. And again, when you come to Galatians 5, uh, where you list the fruit of the Spirit, joy is one of them. Now, certainly, that joy ought to bleed over into your worship. There's a reason why many commentators say that Paul's focusing here upon worship. We can tell many times whether our worship is spirit-filled by simply how we worship. Is there a sense of joy among us as we worship? When we sing, do we sing from the heart with joyfulness to the Lord? And, and then also, our, our worship ought to bleed over into our lives every week. So there's a connection, you see, 
Worship cannot be separated from life. Your worship, in a sense, is a reflection of your life. As you come to worship, it's a reflection of your life. Where you are with the Lord. You can tell, folks. You can tell a lot about where you are spiritually by how you are in worship. Whether you're here because you're glad to be here or because you're here just because you got If you just mumble through the service trying to get to the end of it, or if you engage yourself with your heart in worshiping the Lord. And so, worship, you see, is a reflection of your life. But your worship also has an impact on your life. And the week of coming ought to be different. It ought to be better. Because of the influence, the effect of your worship on your life in the days to come. And so, an important evidence, consequence, result of being filled with the Spirit is this whole matter of joy. Another consequence of being filled with the Spirit is thanksgiving. Verse 20 says this. Always giving thanks for all things... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Spirit-filled people are thankful people. It's just hard to imagine, isn't it? That those who have been saved by the grace of God from eternal destruction, that those who God has brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, would not be grateful for what God has done. But unfortunately, let's be honest, unfortunately, many times, a lack of gratitude characterizes our lives more than a real sense of genuine gratitude does. We often grumble and complain about what we don't have. More than we're truly thankful to God for what we do have. You remember the account of the the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Uh, Kerry spoke of in Sunday school about an episode he had with one individual leper. There was a day when he was encountered ten lepers. And, and as Kerry pointed out, you got to understand it, you've got to realize the condition that these men were in. Leprosy was something that made you to be considered unclean. You were an outcast of society. Nobody wanted anything to do with you. You had to live outside the camp. You were excluded from the social life that everyone else enjoyed. Lepers in that day lived basically without hope and in the midst of despair. And so Jesus comes across these ten lepers and he says, well, go show yourselves to the priests. You see, a leper had to be declared clean by the priest if he was healed from that disease. And it was an act of faith for those lepers to do what Jesus said while they were still covered in lepers. But they went. They obeyed what Jesus said and they went to see the priest. And on the way to see the priest, you know what happened? They all were healed. And yet, out of those ten lepers who were healed from that dreaded disease, 
Only one. Only one came back to express his thanks. I'm afraid sometimes we live that way. Taking Jesus' blessings, God's blessings, as though we deserved them, without really pausing to realize how undeserving we are, and giving Him thanks for every blessing that He has given. And being filled with the Spirit leads us to having a thankful heart. Notice in verse 20, just briefly, notice when we are to be thankful. It's always. Always giving thanks. Notice for what we are to be thankful. Always giving thanks for all things. Well, that's hard, isn't it? You know, we're to be thankful even for the hard things in our lives. The the difficult things, the unpleasant things, the sorrowful things, the sad things, the hurtful things. We're to be thankful for them because God is using all those things in our lives to make us into what he wants us to be. We're to be thankful for all things. And then notice to whom that thanks is to be given. It is to be given, of course, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and those verses just reaffirm what the apostle says here and so an important part of being filled with the spirit is a thankful heart and one more consequence of being filled with the spirit is humility verse 21 is really kind of a connecting link between this section and the next section where he deals with how the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit affects our relationships especially our relationships in the home this verse says and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ one of the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit one of the evidences of the Spirit being in your life one of the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is a sense of humility. One of the evidences of the Spirit-filled church is members who consider the needs of each other as more important than themselves, who are busy serving one another, and who submit themselves to each other in the Lord. I've said before that humility is the grace, frankly, that keeps relationships running smoothly in the church and in the home. That, that's why the filling of the Holy Spirit is so important. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit does for us. It gives us the desire and it gives us the ability to consider the needs of someone else more important than our own. And I'll just be real brief and summarize, you know, to a great extent, the success of your life at home and the success of your life in the church has a lot to do with your willingness to submit yourself to someone else and to be subject to others as Paul says in the fear of Christ if you look with me at Philippians chapter 2 for just a second 
We'll look at verses 3 and 4. Where it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. You might not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What Paul means when he talks about being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he goes on to say, of course, in verse 5, Have this attitude, this humility attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And he goes ahead to define that in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This word in the Greek, be subject to one another, really means to place yourself at a lower rank, has to do with rankings. And the military still uses that concept of ranking to make distinctions between individuals and between groups. What Paul is saying here is always rank yourself lower than someone. Always put yourself under the needs and the circumstances of another person. And so humility is another important consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Many times we all struggle, don't we? We struggle with exactly what Paul is talking about here of really living under the control, the influence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I was honest with you a few minutes ago about a very clear way in my life where I can tell if I'm doing that or not. Maybe there are specific areas in your life where you struggle. Where you can say, I know if I have this attitude, I'm not being filled with the Spirit. If I'm, if I'm treating my wife or my husband like this, I know I'm not being filled with the Spirit. If I'm irritable with my children, I know that I'm not being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I don't want to get up and go to work tomorrow, I know that I'm not being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I'm proud or boastful, if I don't want to be bothered by someone else's concerns or problems or troubles, then I know I'm not being filled with the Holy Spirit. God identifies something like that in your life today. Confess it to Him. Seek to repent of it. Turn from it. Ask Him to enable you to live less by the flesh and more being filled with and under control of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for Your Word and for His application to our hearts and to our lives and I pray that we would all know what it is to live under the control the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be filled with Him every moment of every day that we might live a life that pleases You and bears a strong testimony to the work of grace Christ in our hearts we ask it in His name Amen